0: Z-O-U. M-I-Z. All right, that's what we say out in Colombia. So it's good to be here all the way from an hour away <laughs> in Columbia. Who's our farthest away here to, uh, this weekend? Is it Florida back there? Yeah, those Gators. All right, we love you Gators. Not in football, but in brotherhood in Christ. We love you very much. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Anybody wants to say anything about Alabama losing? Um, go ahead. Anybody want to cheer for that? Uh, all right. Very good. Yeah, we'll see you all next year. Anyway, um, this one's better. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah, this, this one's got the spirit. RJ, this is the one with the spirit. Um, I've been praying a lot, probably... I've prayed more for this particular lesson than I can remember in a long time. And uh, a lot of that prayer happened today, but it's been in the weeks leading up to this this moment. I've been praying for all the speakers, I've been praying for myself, that all of us would just kind of get out of the way and let God do whatever He wants to do. But I can't remember quite um, praying as much as I have for a lesson as I have over this particular one. and. And I don't know, my mind is kind of racing a little bit right now. I have my notes, and, and I'm going to do my best to kind of finish on time so Carol back there doesn't hurt me. Um, but I really, really, really just want the Spirit of God to do whatever it is that He wants to do tonight, and for me to just kind of do the best I can and, uh, and then get out of the way and allow Him to do what He wants to do. Um, but I want to start by asking you a question. Which would you say is worse? To have a bunch of terrible teachers at a terrible conference or a terrible retreat, and therefore no one understands anything new, and they go away doing nothing different. Okay, that's one scenario. Or, having amazing teachers... At every turn, in every class, at the particular retreat. Having this amazing worship experience at this retreat and these amazing teachers. And yet, everyone leaves and nothing changes. They do nothing with what was explained to them. So, here you have two scenarios. One, terrible teachers, terrible retreat. The other, amazing teachers, amazing retreat. But in both scenarios, the same result. And I ask you, which is worse? You can think about it one or two ways. Which is better? Which is worse? What would you say? Who thinks scenario over here where it's terrible teachers is the worst scenario? Raise your hand. Y'all afraid to answer? Okay. What, what do you think about if there are amazing teachers, but no one did anything with what was taught? Who, who thinks that's a worse scenario? You got a little bit more brave. I want to read to you a passage, and actually, I forgot to get my clicker out of my pocket here fancy. Well, there went the clicker. Okay. Listen to what Jesus says about those scenarios. In Matthew 11, 20 through 24, then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed. So that's a pretty good retreat, I would say, right? Because they didn't repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You'll go down to Hades, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom... It would have remained to this day, but I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Well, that's a way to open a keynote, isn't it? But I I just I couldn't shake this idea of how amazing I feel like this retreat has been and what a good job all of our teachers have done to this point all the classes that I've been a part of, and even the ones that I have and I've asked around to folks that are very reliable and they'll tell me how it really was. And I think that you've had the top quality teachers. I think you've had the top quality presentations of God's Word. There's no question that it's been clear and it's been energetic and it's been exciting and it's been put on a silver platter for you to receive. But I just wonder, at the end of this, what are we going to do with it? And it just seems to me that from Jesus' perspective, it's those that have the the best teachers and the most amazing things happening in their presence that are the most responsible. And I don't know how that sits with you, man, but I think that you've been exposed to some amazing words from God this weekend. And now Jesus, I think, is looking and going, all right, what are they going to do? I've set them up. They're set up for success, but will they do anything with what they've heard? Now, I know this prophet that we're about to read, Hosea, some say Hosea, but Hosea in, in chapter 6, he is addressing God's people, and I know, I know it's a specific circumstance during that day and time, but I'm telling you, man, it is eerily in my mind, as I was reading this, I couldn't shake it. And I almost didn't present it, but I was like, no, it's it's too... It just seems too much like something that God would want said Um, before we even dive into the material I was asked to cover it. So, listen to this prophet and tell me if this is not eerily familiar to where we find ourselves right now. And he says this. In two days... He will put new life in us. On the third day, He will raise us up so that we may live in His presence and know Him. Now, we've been here a couple of days, entering into our third day. And I know it's not the same. I know he's not writing to us, but I, I, I really feel like God is saying that he can do something amazing. He can turn a people that were going in a totally wrong direction. In two days, he can turn it around. And in the third day, raise them up so that they could be in his presence and do something amazing for him. And I just feel like that's where we sit. That we've spent two days, and now on the third day, are we going to go home and are we going to be in His presence and know Him better and then be able to serve Him and turn things around on our campuses? He goes on to say, Let's try to learn about the Lord. I hope that's what you've been doing. He will come to us as surely as the dawn comes. See, there's no question about whether Jesus was going to show up this weekend, there's no question. The question is, did you show up? I know your feet are here, but are you here? Are you listening with open minds and open hearts and open ears? He says, he will come to us like rain, like the spring rain that waters the ground. I'm telling you guys, the ground is saturated this weekend. Verse 4, the Lord says, Israel, what should I do with you? Judah, what should I do with you? Your faithfulness is like morning mist, like the dew that goes away early in the day. And I have warned you by my prophets that I will kill you and destroy you. My justice comes out like bright light. Guys. He says our faithfulness is like the morning dew. When I hear that, I think about most retreats that we spend a concentrated, Time in God's Word every day. every All these classes, all these specific topics that are hitting where we are. And a lot of thought and prayer went into it by leaders who have been where you are and know how that thing works. And they put these things, they craft all of this curriculum and all these things together so that you can have the most amazing weekend and be exposed to all the good things that God wants you to have. And so all of that work is put in. And then we go home and we are fired up, a lot of us. We're energized. But how long does it take before our morning dew fades? And it just goes away. And God says, what do I do with you? You're so, you're so wishy-washy. You're so up and down. You're on fire and then you're not. And then you're on fire again and then you're not. And it's some of us live retreat to retreat or Sunday to Sunday. And we, we need that next spiritual high. And the whole goal and ambition of this weekend, guys, has been to teach you how to connect to the vine in such a way where you don't have to rely on spiritual highs because you're connected to the vine all the time. In verse 6, he says, I want, listen to this, this is what God says he wants. I want faithful love more than I want animal sacrifices I want people to know me more than I want burnt offerings. But they've broken the agreement or the covenant as Adam did. They have been unfaithful to me. Sorry, I didn't click that and advance it. They've been unfaithful to me. What does he say he wants? He says, I want you more than I want your behavior We've been talking about fruit bearing, and I'm here to tell you, he wants to be connected to you more than he wants to see you bear fruit. But the cool thing is, if you connect with him, you're going to bear fruit. But he's not interested in you just starting to behave better and do more things. Be more, be more uh, attentive in classes and and to come to more cross chats and to bring more guests to cross chat and all those kind of things that we want. Certainly, those are all good things to do. But I'm just here to tell you that God wants you more than he wants the things that you're going to do. Do you all hear me? He doesn't want our burnt sacrifices. Those were things that he desired. Those were things that were commanded of God's people to do. So it was a good thing to do. But he says, I want you and I want your faithful love, a relationship, a connection, more than I want your behavior. And I wonder, guys, you know, there's, there's a, the passage that you've heard a lot of times. It's in all the studies that we go through with people. There are terrible times. There will be terrible times in the last days, right? And then he gives this list of horrible things that are going to happen. One that I think gets often overlooked is down in verse 7. After a long list has already been gone through, he says this, they're always learning, but they're never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. You ever known somebody like that? You know what it makes me think of? You got any philosophy majors in the house? Oh, I was going to apologize if you did. But anyway, um, philosophy, here's, here's how college philosophy classes go. You come together and you debate something in a way where there never is a conclusion. Ever. And if you have a conclusion, you're going to get an F in the class. I've been there. I know that's how that works. You start claiming absolute truth in a philosophy class and suddenly you're not going to pass. Guys, we have people that want to wanna talk, and we want to pontificate, and we want to sound intelligent, and we want to just talk, 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 and we come to these retreats and there's a lot of talking that happens, but I wonder, are you getting anywhere closer to arriving at truth that you can get your arms around and you can go do something with it? Because otherwise, all of us are wasting our breath and our time. And God is saying, man, I want you. But I'm worried about you. What am I going to do with you when you learn so many things, but you never come to a knowledge of the truth? You see, when he says there will be terrible times in the last days, he wasn't. We think instantly, yeah, that sounds like today. And we think about out in the world. But if you look at that list, take a close look at it. Later in the text, he starts talking about teachers in the church. That text is not just about people out in the world, he's talking about these things are popping up within God's family. And so we are in danger of learning a lot of things and hearing a lot of things, but never arriving at truth and never doing anything with it. You know, I love NyQuil. Anybody else love NyQuil? So, I don't love the taste of NyQuil. Okay, that's gross, but I mean, it's not bad. There are worse things than NyQuil taste, you know, especially if you get the red one, right, the cherry. You get that green thing, that's disgusting, but The red is pretty decent, but I don't like it because of its taste. I certainly don't like it because of its price. In fact, I get the generic version, okay? Um, Whatever it's called, Walgreens brand or something. But I love, here's what I love. I love that if I can't find my little plastic cup... It's about a mouthful. Okay, that's what I need. It's very simple. I can just kind of put it in there, and it's going to make me go to sleep, and it's going to make all my little cold symptoms go away long enough that I can rest. And I love NyQuil for that. You know, I could probably come down with some serious, like, disease that's terminal, and and I'll be like, give me some NyQuil. You know, it's like, it'll be fine in the morning. Uh, Maybe not, but tonight it's going to be okay. With me and my NyQuil. But you know, there have been times in my life when I tried to treat my problem with NyQuil. And I woke up the next morning and I was worse. I was no better. I was worse. And what did I have to do? I had to actually get up and do what I hate to do more than most things. And that is call a doctor. I hate that. I don't even trust doctors for the most part. Any doctors in the room, I apologize. But I just don't. And it's not my thing. I don't like it. But I call a doctor, and what do I need? I don't need NyQuil. I need some amoxicillin. I need something that ends in psyllin, all right? I need something that's going to really kill the problem rather than just treating the symptom. And I want to read you one more passage. I know you're like, when are we going to get to John 15? In a second. In Ephesians, look at this. This is a prayer of the Apostle Paul. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. And it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Paul is going to pray. He's going to posture himself on his knees. It's serious. And he says, I'm going to kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Now, I've read that passage, I don't know how many times, more times than I can count. I've read it so many times. But this weekend, as I was just in my, my own time with God and just praying and talking and, and studying and preparing and just trying to make sure I, I do what he wants me to do. This passage hit me in a different way and it spoke a message that maybe I have never considered in all my years of ministry. And I've been in this for a while. I'm pretty old at this point. Not like Robert old, but I'm like, you know, not even carry old, but it's close. Close. I'm catching up to him. But I want you to pay attention to this. Notice what he's praying about. And I wonder how many of you leaders listen to me, leaders. How many times have you been frustrated with your people? How many times have you wanted to pull your hair out? You just don't understand why they're not getting it. And and how many times you said it and they come back and ask the same thing and they still don't get it? How many times have you been at your wit's end with people that you love and care about and you want them desperately to understand something about God and His Word that they just don't seem to get? Here's my question to you leaders. When's the last time... You knelt down and prayed for the Holy Spirit to get involved in helping them to grasp anything. But here, listen to this. He is praying that the Holy Spirit would touch their inner being to understand one fundamental thing. And that is how deep and how wide And the breadth, right? The height, the length, the depth, the breadth, all of this of God's love for them. Now, I don't know. I've never paid attention to that. That helping someone understand the love of God might require the Holy Spirit to step in and do something in the inner being of someone, whatever that is. Soul, I don't know. Okay? Okay? But I'm, I'm all about like, giving you an illustration to show you how much God loves you. And I can sing and dance up on the stage. And I can, I can articulate the word of God and tell you God so loved the world. right? He so loved the world. And I can emphasize the word so. And I can, I, can, I can go through all these gyrations to try to help you understand. And I'm begging you and pleading with you. Please understand that God is crazy about you. And there's nobody that will ever love you more than Him. And I can do all of that. And it's kind of, it kind of feels like sometimes... Anybody in here ever played Matchmaker? It's kind of like you, you get your best buddy up here and you put him on the stage and you go, he's godly. He loves Marvel movies. You know, he likes to cook. He'll even do his own laundry. Yeah, Woo! Calm down out there, okay? <laughs> but you you get up and you try to talk and you tell him, you're like, man, you give him the whole resume. And then you, you go to him and say, Man, and he's and he's available and he's and he says he'd be down for it, you know? Like why don't y'all why don't y'all give it a try? He's isn't he great? To which she replies, Yeah, I guess he's okay. Can I just tell you, that's how I feel sometimes when I talk about Jesus. I feel like I'm trying my best and I know your leaders are feeling the same way very often. They, they're trying their best to say, this is the one. Like, he's got it going on and no one's ever going to take better care of you and and aren't any great? And you go, yeah, he's pretty cool. No, he's not just pretty cool. But I'm t- There's something about it. It, Just like me trying to set up my buddy with some girl, right? And I think I'm playing matchmaker. Just like when that happens, guys, it doesn't matter how good of a job I do, how persuasive I am, there's got to be something that happens on the inside between those two. Some spark has to happen. And it's hard to explain. And so, as we begin this morning, or this morning, This evening, it's been a long day. I would like for us to, if you can, let's kneel and let's follow Paul's example. Let's plead with the Father for a little bit that the Holy Spirit would help us grasp the things that we've been talking about this morning, that the Holy Spirit would help us specifically grasp the depth, the width, the height the breath of the love that God has for each and every one of us in this room tonight. If you'll kneel with me. Father in heaven, I don't even know, Father, uh, I don't know how this works exactly, but I know the reality is that your spirit operates sometimes, Father, behind the scenes in ways that we will never even appreciate or catch a glimpse of. But, Father, you give us an insight in this small section of Scripture that that Paul was doing something that he believed was necessary, that he believed was powerful so Father as we kneel down and follow his example I pray God that you'll meet us in this activity that your spirit would continue doing what I know your spirit has been doing all weekend trying to convict hearts trying to tug at people trying to to move people from where they are God We try to do our best, but I I just surrender right now personally to say, God, I just want so desperately for people in this room to understand your love, to know it, for it to be real, for them to believe it, not just intellectually, but deep inside. Father, would you make that possible through the power of your spirit? I pray in Jesus' name. Let's look at John chapter 15. And this is starting in verse 9, and we'll read to verse 17 and then dive in and see what God has for us. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Can you advance it for me, please? Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Now, I went to um, Wendy's earlier. And um, so, yeah, I went to Wendy's. With my good friend Michael Collins, and we grab some lunch. And you see the two drinks. That's mine and uh Michael's drink. Now, if you know anything about my friend Michael Collins, he is a um a former professional eater. <laughs> okay. Is that what you're called? I don't know. Um, but no, he would like enter these. Eating contests and and he would try to eat more than anybody else faster than anybody else, and so this man here's the bottom line: he can put away some food, okay Now, in my older age, my appetite has started to diminish, so I don't really eat like I used to, like you know, I used to maybe be able to try to keep up with Mike, not anymore. But this man's professional, and, and this is such a funny thing that happened. I'm at the drive-thru. I'm the one making, you know, placing the order for both of us, and so I place my order. And what do I do? He goes, uh, would you like to biggie-size that? And I'm like, yeah, I would like to biggie-size that. I want a big fry, and I want a big drink, and I want a big burger, right? Or a big chicken sandwich is what I got. But it was this massive sandwich, right? And then he's like, all right, what do you want, Mike? And I just let him order for himself, and he's like, what was it called? He wanted the son of a baconator. I didn't even know that existed. It's it's, it's like the tiny version of the baconator, all right? Now I've got this massive sandwich with all this stuff on it. He this massive. You know, eating contest guy orders the son of a Baconator. And if you were to have guessed our drinks, this is Mike's drink, right? And I wish that he had ordered the smaller one for for emphasis. But anyway, but he didn't. This is what we actually ordered. And here's my biggie size. And why do I bring this up? I just found it fascinating today. Maybe the Spirit's working. Maybe it's just a dumb idea in my head. But um, when I thought about this passage that we just read... If you started up in verse 1, and we've read through this thing all weekend long. You've heard it more than once. But something I don't know if you've noticed. Jesus starts by talking about us bearing fruit. Then he takes it up a notch and says, I want you to bear more fruit. Then he takes it up another notch and he says, I want you to bear much fruit. He doesn't stop there. He takes it up another notch as he continues in his story. And he says, I want you to bear fruit that will last So every time he ups the ante, every time he supersizes it, or he biggie sizes it, or he sonic sizes it, or he wada sizes it, right? That's what the Whataburgers do, I think. And it makes me think about us. It occurs to me that this is what Jesus has been desiring for you all along. That he didn't want you to have a regular encounter of fruit bearing, that he wanted to supersize it. He wanted to Jesusize it. He wants you to do something beyond your wildest imaginations. And if this is going to happen, guys, we're going to have to put into practice the things that we've been hearing this weekend, and we need to understand the topic of this evening. And that is, what is the secret to loving God? I want to give you five secrets to loving God. And the five secrets to loving God is knowing these things. See, because the secret of loving is knowing. If you remember, the secret of living is what? Fruit bearing. What's the secret of fruit bearing? Dimitri told us. What was it? Abiding. What's the secret of abiding? Obeying. What's the secret of obeying? Loving. And here we are. What's the secret to loving? It seems to me that if we could could get the secret to loving, then all the other dominoes will begin to fall, and we will end up with the secret of life, and that is fruit bearing. And we're going to do this amazing Jesus-sized type of fruit bearing. But we've got to get this on straight. The five secrets to loving God is knowing His, number one, write this down, His compelling love for me. Now, we've been talking about this. In fact, Paul says he got down on his knees and prayed that the Holy Spirit would get involved so that you couldn't miss it. So that he would get involved and make sure you understood the sea. So that you would understand this compelling love and that it would in fact compel you. Y'all seen the the memes, right? The pictures. Relationship goals. Y'all seen those? pretty amusing when you think of the love relationship between god the father and you think about his relationship with his son jesus christ what would you rate their love on a scale of one to ten hold up your hold up your answer on your hands on a one to ten scale ten being the highest it could be what is the love relationship look like between the father and the son show me there's not many people holding up anything other than ten. If you had extra fingers, you know that'd be cool. I mean, you'd be like a master pianist or something. But I mean, but you would probably hold up those other fingers. They're off the charts, right? It's not even a ten. Doesn't even justify. It. There's no greater love between the, between anyone than between the father and the son. That's what makes this next verse that we began with tonight for for this evening's topic, verse 9, that's what makes it so mind-boggling. Listen to this. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in that love. You ever thought about that? He doesn't just... Kind of, sort of, interested in you wanting to start talking. (laughs) He's not interested in dating you. He wants to put a ring on it. He is sold out, head over heels in love and crazy about you. As the father loved Jesus, that's how he loves you and me. Now, here's our problem. We can't even grasp that. That is a supernatural truth that I believe Paul would say is only spiritually discerned. I think it's, it's something that the Holy Spirit has to be involved in. And I'm praying hard. That he'll get involved in such a way and that you'll open yourselves up to that so that this love will grip you. That it won't take another retreat to re-fire you up because you will know the love that we're talking about. And it will be your driving force. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says as much. He says, the love of Christ. And I love this New American Bible, Revised Edition, because it says it's the only one that uses the word impel. Now, that's different than impale, okay? We're not ta- talking about sticking somebody through their head with a spike, okay? We're talking about, you know, there are, there are several pels, right? There's compel, there's propel, and then there's impel. And impel, out of all of them, I think best describes what's going on. It's this internal force that drives us. It says, for the love of Christ impels us once we have come to the conviction that He died for all of us. You see, but I wonder, I I think it was Carrie that said, it will be obvious. Was it Carrie? Maybe it was not Carrie. Anyway, it will be obvious. Maybe it was Robert. It will be obvious When you're connected to the vine. By the way, you're connected to some kind of vine. You're either connected to Jesus that's going to produce really amazing fruit that people are going to want to have something to do with, or you're going to connect to these false vines that are going to produce rotten fruit that no one's going to want to have anything to do with. But it's going to be obvious when you're connected. But he says once you're convinced, that's when. Once you're convicted... That's when this love will impel you to bear fruit. But not until. If it's your parents' faith, if it's your leader's faith, and they're having to pull you and drag you, you haven't caught on yet. Ain't nobody got to tell me to come up here and preach about Jesus. Nobody has to pull my teeth. Uh, you know, pull, it was the phrase? Pull teeth to get me to do this? Pull my teeth, that was weird. But anyway, nobody's got to pull teeth. To get me to do this. I want to do it. I can't help but do it. You can get there. But you've got to come to an understanding. I think supernaturally so. Retreats like this can be the ground where that can happen. If you'll open yourself up and ask God to do it. In 1 John 4, verse 16. It says, So we have come to know and believe. Notice this. He says, We have come to know and believe. See, some of our problems is you know. You, you know God loves you, right? Let me, watch this. Let me try this out. God loves you. Say, I know. You know, right? You heard that before, right? But do you believe it? Once He says... We've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I love the passion translation here. He says we have come into an intimate experience with God's love, and we trust in the love. You see, I've heard Robert say this before. Maybe you have. Where He says he asked a crowd this size, who believes in ghosts? And about half the hands will go up, I guess. I don't know. Who believes in ghosts? But then I change the question just slightly and go, how many of you trust those ghosts? That's a different question, right? And so I think, I wonder, do you trust His love? Do you you know it to be true in your inner being? Or are you absolutely convinced? Or do you think He just kind of likes you? If you think He kind of likes you, you're going to have a hard time bearing fruit. You're going to be a frustrated person. You're going to frustrate your leaders. We've got to get to the point where we absolutely are convinced that he loves us and he's crazy about us. That's why in First John chapter 4, verse 19, he would say, it's not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. I want to give you a reality here. Love embraced, write this down, love embraced becomes love extended. But you've got to embrace it first. You've got to understand His deep, immeasurable, unfathomable love for you. The second thing that we've got to, the second secret to loving God is knowing His law. If you look at the, the very next verse in John chapter 15 and verse 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Jesus is not this dictator up here demanding that you keep His commands, but not willing to do the same thing Himself. He says, Just like I kept my Father's commands, if you keep my commands, you're going to stay in my love, just like I stayed in my Father's love by keeping His Here's our problem, but I use the word law because I needed an L, okay? We're spelling something here, but I want us to think about it a little different way. When we hear law, we think this big rule, you know, that I got to keep, and if I don't, I'll get in trouble, right? If I break the law, I'll get a ticket. God's going to give me a ticket, I want you to think about it a different way, another L, the word like. What does God like? Now, when I phrase it like that, not what is God's law, but what does God like? In other words, what does he approve of or disapprove of? What does he like? That sounds more like relationship. In John chapter 8, verse 29, listen to this. This is Jesus. He says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. See, Jesus, He understood to keep the Father's commands meant to do what pleased the Father. That's relationship. That's what love looks like. Do you want to know how to love? The secret to love is pleasing the person you claim to love. If my wife... And she's sick. She's got COVID at home. And I hate that she's having to miss this. And she sends her love, by the way. She misses being here. But if my wife, if I were to make her a birthday cake, and, and I know, I've already invested. We've been married, uh, what, 22 years this coming November. Right, It's easy to remember because we were married in 2000. So we're in 2022. Yeah, so 22 years almost. So... I know I've investigated. I know she hates coconut cake. She hates it. So if I made her a birthday cake and I made it a coconut one, but I wrote on the top of it, I love you, she's not going to feel loved. But guys, I'm telling you, that's what some of you are doing when you sing songs, I love you, Lord. But then your life is this nasty coconut cake that he doesn't like. I don't know if God likes coconut cake. I think He will because I like coconut cake. But, but I hope you get my drift, okay? Listen to this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8-12, through 12, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And now look, he's going to talk about some fruit. He says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. But rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. He says find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what is His law. Understand you don't write the law. And then craft a god To suit your fancy, He is God. Figure out what He says is okay. Don't flip the script. Don't get it twisted, guys. We live in a culture that's got it completely twisted. Talking about some love is love. No, no, no. Love is God. God is love. Not anything that you put on a platter is necessarily love just because you like it. God is the one that defines that. When you create your universe, you can do it your way. But until then, he's the lawgiver. He's the one that we've got to decide what is he like. He doesn't have to figure out what we like. Don't get it twisted. There's too much at stake. The next secret To loving God and loving his people, by the way, not just loving him. You can't can't separate those two concepts. But the secret to loving is knowing his objective. In John chapter 15, verse 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I made known to you. He says, I'm going to put you hip to the plan. I'm not going to keep you in the dark. You're going to know everything that I want to do. And here's the cool thing. Guys, that's one of the biggest secrets to loving God. Because you see, when you know what someone's up to, you know what their agenda is, and you are for that agenda, like you approve of it, and it's good, and it's righteous, and it's holy, which, by the way, God's agenda is all of those things, then it's easy for me to go, yeah, let's go, I'll follow you. What is God's agenda? What is His business? You see, you are very, very, very privileged to know what you know and to be exposed to what you're exposed to. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 13, verses 16 through 17 to His disciples. He said, blessed are your eyes, guys. Because they see, and your ears are blessed, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people before you, okay, longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you get to hear, but they didn't hear it. You see, when I say the ground is saturated, Guys, you are hearing and being exposed to things. That there were angels that longed to look in those things. We don't have that text up there, but that's scripture too. Angels longed to look into it. Prophets longed to, to see these things and to hear what you're hearing. But they never got to. And you're like, yeah, that's pretty cool. That was interesting. No, it's not just interesting. It's not just cool. It is everything. It's why you're on this planet. And I beg you to open your eyes and open your ears and let the truth of God come in. You know, in Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 5, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Here's God's agenda, by the way. A new heaven and a new earth. That's his agenda. One that doesn't have natural disasters anymore, by the way. None of that crap. No more flooding. No more earthquakes. No more tsunamis. No more tornadoes. None of that stuff. A new heaven and a new earth is his agenda and his objective. and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain or suffering, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Who's on the throne? Jesus. Jesus said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And you can snap at that one. Yeah, that's Jesus, man. If you can't get behind that agenda, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Who doesn't want things to be new? Who doesn't want suffering to end? This is his agenda. The very thing that so many atheists want to criticize God about, that he allows all this suffering and all this evil and all these things. Do you understand that everything he is doing is to put an end to all of it? I love him. And part of the reason I love him is because I know his business. And I love his business. I'm about it. The fourth secret to to loving God is knowing his standard. In John chapter 15, verses 12 through 13, he he continues and he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Let me just tell you something. If you're going to love God, then you cannot call it love, but water it down or bring the bar down from where Jesus put it. Now... This is where it's going to get real for some of you guys. Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by someone. Keep your hand up if it wasn't just some kind of hurt, but it was like a deep hurt that you have had a hard time shaking, maybe never have shaken it. Keep your hand up if you can be honest about that. It's about to get real. You can put your hands down. It's about to get real for everybody with a hand up. In John 13... Verse 34 and 35, Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus says this, a new command I give you. Love one another. Hold on, Jesus. How's that new? What's the greatest command of all? Love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second most important is like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. What you mean, Jesus? This has been around for a minute. But he says, this is a new command I'm giving you. Love one another. But you see, what's new about it is what he says next. He says, as I have loved you. That's what's new. You see, because until, until he did what he did, you hadn't been loved like that. That's what's new. He doesn't say, love each other like, you, like, you know, like yourself. No. He says, love like I love. And the amazing thing, he, let me just finish this. He says, so you must love one another as I've loved you. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. You see, you're not going to look any different from people in the world if all you love is the people that love you back. But what Jesus modeled was something very different, a much higher bar, a much bigger definition of love. Because in John chapter 13 where we find this text, what happened right before this was Jesus got all of his disciples together, the whole group of them, and he had them take off their sandals. And he got a basin of water and he got down on his knees after taking off his outer garment and now he looked like a servant, a common servant by the way he was dressed. And he kneels down and he begins washing each of the disciples' feet one by one. Some protest, some accept it. But all of them got washed, including Judas. And here's the kicker. We know from the text, that he already knew prior to washing Judas's feet that Judas was the one who was going to betray him to his death. Who raised their hand about a deep, dark hurt? Jesus had a deep, dark hurt from Judas. He knew it was coming. And he got down and he washed those grimy feet of the betrayer anyway. And then he said, you want to be my disciple? Here's your definition of love that you're to extend to everyone. Go love Judas. Don't just love him at a distance. Don't just conceptually forgive him. Go get down and serve him. Love him. Have his best interest at heart. It doesn't get any easier. Jesus is not playing about this standard in Luke chapter six, starting in verse twenty seven. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Listen to these words. Please hear. Don't tune out. I know this. You don't want to hear this. Some of you don't want to hear it, but you need to hear it. Listen to this. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. And say, put some stank on it, Ike. Some of y'all appreciate that. Anyway, it's it's sort of sad because it was a true story of Tina Turner and Ike. But anyway a little lighthearted humor from another movie. But anyway, um, let me get back to the serious thing. Verse 29, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to the other also. If, if someone, listen to this, if someone takes your Xbox or your PS5 this happened to a student of mine once. He says, don't take your coat. But I'm, I'm, this is the Mackie Shed version. So a student came to me, and he's like, man, somebody broke in my dorm, and they took my Xbox. What am I going to do, Mackie? I was like, I'll tell you what we're going to do. He's like, okay, what, what, what? And I'm like, we're going to go find the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, and we're going to give him all your games. <laughs> I believe Jesus. Do you? I think that's what I'm supposed to do. That's not very American. You violated my rights, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to tell you. Jesus says, someone slaps you, let them hit you again. If someone takes your coat, don't, uh, don't withhold your shirt. Give them your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Oh my goodness, why? I don't like this. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those that love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? He's saying, you want a cookie? Like, who cares? Everybody does that. Even sinners do that. Verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. Expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Heavenly Father is merciful. Where's the standard? Well, it's way, way, way up there way far away from where I'm at, okay? I'm not saying I got all this under control, okay? I struggle with this. This is one of my least favorite passages, but I have to preach it because it's what Jesus said. We need to wrap our minds around this, man. That if we're going to have a secret to loving, then you can't change what love looks like. Jesus showed us what it looked like. He told us what it looks like. And now you don't get to do something different than that and call it love. The secret to love is holding to his standard and his definition. Love the unlovable, the ones that hurt you the most. Maybe even wash their feet. And finally, the fifth secret to loving God is knowing his election. And we finally spelled something. This is how you get close to God. You want to love him and have that close relationship, that connectedness to the vine, that you will bear this amazing fruit? we got to get close. we got to understand and know his election. Listen to this. In John 15, verse 16, he says, You didn't choose me, I chose you, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Listen, man, this is awesome. I want you to go back on this one where he says election. I want you to say elected us, Write that. Elected us. Don't say elected me. Say elected us and circle the word us. Here's the interesting thing. He elected you. He chose you and me. He chose us. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 he says uh, he says therefore brothers and sisters make every effort to be sure of your calling and your election for by doing this you will never stumble into sin guys we are more worried about who's elected to the white house than we are worried about what's happening in our house fair We've, we think that somehow if we get the right person, who is that? I mean, is Jesus going to come back down? You know, is he going to like set up shop in the White House? Because if that doesn't happen, you're not going to have anybody that's really worth much, okay? We're all bums. We're all going to mess it up. Why are we so worried? Why do we want to fix? Do you ever see Jesus? I just don't. I just don't see him going, you know what? What are we going to do, guys, to take over this Roman Empire and make it Christian? What did he do? He took 12 men. He showed them how to be like him. He gave them a mission. He gave them a purpose sent them out to go meet with 12 more men that would meet with 12 more men that would meet with 12 more men. That's the master's plan of evangelism, not to have this, this giant overtaking of a government and overthrowing this thing and having this Christian ideal. If that's your approach, I think you're going to be frustrated from now until the day you die. We need to be concerned about making sure of our calling and our election and recognizing that He chose us. I want to end with this thought. I had you circle the word us for a reason. In the entirety of John chapter 15, there is not a single time when the word you is used when it is in the singular. It is Always, every time, plural. So when he says, let's see if we can get back to that. I want to read this to you. Boy, there's some notes right here. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved y'all. Alabama right here. Okay, y'all. Now remain in my love. If y'all keep my commands, y'all will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told y'all this, so that my joy may be in y'all, and that y'all, y- y'all's joy okay, may be complete. My command is this. Y'all love each other as, li- as I have loved y'all. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down your life. For your friends. Y'all are my friends. If y'all do what I command. I no longer call y'all servants. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead I have called y'all friends. For everything that y'all learned from my father. I have made known to y'all. Y'all did not choose me. I chose y'all. And appointed y'all. So that y'all might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so whatever y'all ask in my name. The father will give y'all. That's cool, isn't it? I say all of that to all y'all because we're meant to do this together. You're not supposed to be a lone ranger. You're supposed to go out and bear fruit together and help each other in the pruning process. And we're supposed to do this together. Help each other get close. Listen to this come near to God. And he'll come near to you. And that's a promise that you can take to the bank. I love you guys. Thank you for your attention.